What's up, everybody? Pastor Matt here. Thank you so much for checking into the podcast of Gospel Fellowship PCA. Hey, listen, what if I told you that there is a solid, biblical, doctrinally faithful, reformed church on a beautiful campus just a stone's throw north of Pittsburgh? Yeah, we don't have a Starbucks in the lobby. Sorry about that. We don't have a fog machine. We don't have an American Idol stage with laser lights shooting all around. But we do have the sweetest, kindest people in the world. We sing the Psalms and classic hymns of the faith. We preach the Bible chapter by chapter. We believe the whole thing's true. We love Jesus. We're on a mission to share the good news of the gospel with the world. Would you be interested in a church like that? Well, come check us out, Gospel Fellowship PCA in Valencia, Pennsylvania. Please feel free to visit our website at gospelfellowshippca.org and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Gospel Fellowship Presbyterian Church. All right, thank you so much. Here's today's message. Please stand for the reading and hearing of God's holy word. Gospel of John, chapter 19. Verses 33 through 37. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. May God add his blessing to this, the reading, this holy word. Please be seated. Uh, The events uh, that I just read are a direct result of Christ's willing death. Um, His life was not taken from him. He gave it. Uh, The soldiers had been instructed to to break the legs of Jesus and the two criminals uh, who were crucified on either side of him. Uh, When someone was crucified, apparently the victims uh, would often... Uh, use their legs and feet to push themselves up uh, that they could have a a brief period of relief upon the stress that it placed upon them. Their lungs might gasp for air. Uh, When uh, such a victim's legs were broken, they'd lose the ability to do this and would much more quickly die from asphyxiation. The purpose was to hasten their death but they could not hasten the death of Jesus. Uh, When they came to him, they saw that he was already dead. Uh, Mark uh, comes closest of the other gospel writers. He comes closest to uh, to noting this detail that John points out uh, when he says that Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. Uh, What accounts for the fact that he had died sooner than the others? It was not Uh, that there was an extra measure of brutality that he faced, though certainly what he faced was brutal, perhaps even more than the other criminals. That's not why. Um, He had not died sooner, uh, not because he had a greater weakness in the face of death, though the scriptures are clear that he was weak and frail, even as we are. 
as human nature, unglorified is. Uh, But he had already died because of his great power and his great love in which he laid down his life. Uh, We read it, John 19, verse 30. After he had said, it is finished, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He laid down his life. Now, given that the soldiers uh, uh, need not nor even could have uh, hastened his death at this point, they didn't break his legs. Uh, But then one soldier, uh, when he sees his companions withhold their hands from striking the body of our dead Savior, uh, he strikes him and pierces him with a spear. And it was no small wound. Uh, Later on, we'll read in the gospel of John that when he appears after his resurrection, he speaks to Thomas and he tells Thomas to put his fingers uh, in the place where his nails, the nails had pierced him, and to put his hand in his side. Gives you a sense of the size of this wound. Um, And what takes place uh, here And what we've read uh, fulfills the scriptures, right? His bones were not broken, and so John points out the teaching of scripture. Not one of his bones will be broken. His side is pierced. He draws attention to what the scripture says. They will look on him whom they have pierced. And John has already uh, noted a few times in this chapter how the scriptures are fulfilled. Uh, Verse uh, 24, after they're casting lots for his clothes, he immediately Quotes from Scripture, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Even later, when Jesus is on the cross, verse 28, when he says that all was now, he noticed, he knows that all is now finished, he said, to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. He has no problem bringing the Scriptures immediately into view. And, and in our own passage that we're considering, uh, the two main events, the fact that his bones are not broken and his side is pierced that seem to resonate the most with the scriptures that he points out that have already happened. But before he draws our attention to what the scriptures have said, he interrupts the flow of what he's saying. Uh, he, he breaks uh, briefly to comment on something. Verse 34, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once there came out blood and water. Uh, that's what he's referring to in verse 35. Uh, what he's testifying to having seen and witnessed. Um, and he takes the opportunity here, it's unclear whether or not this is uh, John's own testimony or he's using the third uh, person again and referring to perhaps someone else. Uh, but either way, Uh, After drawing our attention to this blood and water that flows from his side, he takes the opportunity to speak directly to you. This is why it's written, that you also may believe. So what is it uh, about the blood and water that comes from his side? What's so significant about this that John interrupts the flow of what he's writing and draws attention to his testimony uh, some have taken this simply as, uh, as, as noting the reality of his death, that he did truly die. And certainly it does that, but the text already makes clear the fact that he had died. And, and in fact, John adds 
uh, to his own testimony, the testimony of the soldiers. They came to Jesus, and they knew that he had died. So they didn't break his legs. Uh, Some have seen uh, in this uh, blood and water coming from his side perhaps an indication of of the manner in which Christ had died. Uh, and trying to consider what uh, cause of death might have led to this particular uh, buildup of fluid in his body. Um, but surely that can't be John's uh, point here. Perhaps it might have made more sense if Luke, the physician, had noted something like this. Uh, John has a much more deeply uh, penetrating and literary mind where he sees uh, particular historical events and sees a resonance with many of the themes and images of the scriptures. And along those lines, some have taken it uh, perhaps as an indication of, of perhaps the birth of the church. Maybe the blood and wine symbolizes the sacraments, the blood being the Lord's Supper and, and the water of baptism. Uh, but that would, that would be more than an interruption. That would be a distraction at this point uh, and would exalt the symbol above the thing symbolized. John's concern and focus is Christ. Uh, So what is the blood and wine, uh, sorry, the blood and the water about? Uh, John, I think, is struck by the cleansing power of Christ's blood. Blood that cleanses. Revelation 7.14, again written by the same author, John. Uh, He sees a a large number of, of people wearing white robes, and he asks about them, and he's told that they, these whom he's seeing, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. One of his other writings, 1 John 1, verse 7, he writes this, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Uh, John is struck by the great power and the abundant provision of the cleansing blood of Christ that is able to cleanse even you from all of your sins. Uh, Struck perhaps by the immediacy and readiness with which it flows from his side. At once came out blood and water. Uh, Now for some of you, Uh, Simply uh, drawing attention to this is an encouragement and strength to your faith. And so you already have something of the purpose for which John writes this, that you also may believe. Uh, But John, after drawing our attention to the cleansing blood of Christ and making clear his purpose, that he writes this, that you may believe. He's just getting started. He's told us the focus. He's given us the purpose that you may believe. And now then he seeks to persuade Uh, Perhaps to produce, to instruct or strengthen the kind of faith that he's after. That is his purpose. And he does so by appealing to the ancient testimony of the Scriptures. Um, And that's what we're going to do. Our focus is the cleansing blood of Christ. Our purpose is that you may believe. And the way we're going to get there is by following the map that John gives in these texts that he quotes from. Scriptures that are here fulfilled. So let's begin with the first one, verse 36. 
It says, these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. If you're using the ESV or the Pew Bibles in front of you, you'll notice a footnote uh, that refers us to Exodus 12:46 and Numbers 9:12, and we'll turn there in a moment. Uh, but I want you to notice how how close uh, the language is for what John says and and what is read, what we read in those other two texts, because some of it is a little bit lost in translation. Uh, notice the close match between in the in the syntax and sentence structure John 19 perhaps more woodenly could say this a bone will not be broken of his Exodus 12:46 a bone you shall not break of his Numbers 9:12 a bone they shall not break of his uh, the main difference uh, between these texts is, is in, in Greek, a single word. You shall not break in Exodus, they shall not break in Numbers, will not be broken in John. So something interesting is actually happening here. While John is quoting, virtually quoting from Exodus and Numbers, he actually also has another text in his mind. Uh, and I want to turn there. Uh, turn there with me, if you would, Psalm 34. Verse 20, I'll read verses 19 and 20. You can find this on page 464 if you're using the Pew Bible. Uh, Psalm 34, verses 19 and 20. Uh, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Again, perhaps more woodenly, Psalm 34.20 says, one of them will not be broken. John, a bone will not be broken of his. Notice, will not be broken is the same. Uh, what is John doing? It's a little interesting. He's, he is uh, quoting from Exodus and Numbers, but he has another passage that he's referencing, intentionally alluding to, because he wants us to have that in our mind as we go to Exodus and to Numbers. I'll give you an illustration of, of how we might see something like this. If I say, the scriptures teach that if the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not go astray. I'm almost quoting from Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, but right at the end, there's, there's a reference to another text, a text we use at the beginning of the service. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And when someone does something like that, it, it encourages reflection on how these two ideas go together. In that case, uh, you reflect upon Psalm 23, considering the fact that we have a shepherd who shepherds us as we were once a wayward people. Uh, John's doing something similar here. He's quoting from Exodus and Numbers, but he has in mind Psalm 34. So what's the point of Psalm 34? Well, uh, Christ is preserved as the Lord delivers the righteous man. He is preserved not to avoid death, but to fulfill his obedience in death. Uh, his life, as the point we've already made, was not taken, it was given. Uh, in terms of the Passover lamb, which we're going to see in Exodus and Numbers, this is important because in the celebration of the Passover, uh, the lamb was passive, and the obedience was in the ones who took the life of the lamb. But with Christ, our Passover lamb, 
He is active, and the obedience which the Lord seeks comes from him. So with that in mind, turn to Exodus 12, 46. As we see this text that John refers to, uh, the context here is the people uh, being delivered out of Egypt. Uh, The Passover, as you recall, there was a lamb that was uh, killed. Uh, Some of its blood was put on the outside of the house uh, so that as the angel came to bring judgment upon the Egyptians, he would see the blood and pass over the house uh, and spare those inside, leaving them unharmed. Listen to Exodus 12, 46 as he describes uh, what it is that's to be done with this lamb. Exodus 12, 46, it shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. Notice the logic involved with breaking bones. The idea is this, that it is to be eaten in one place. Uh, It's not to be divided, broken, and some here and some taken elsewhere. Uh, The idea here is is maintaining the integrity of this lamb uh, that it might be enjoyed in this place, in this house. Uh, Numbers 9, 12, turn there if you would. Again, there's a reference to the fact that its bones were not to be broken. Numbers 9.12 says this, uh, page 118, if you're using the Pew Bible. uh, Numbers 9.12, they shall leave none of it until the morning, nor break any of its bones, according to all the statute for the Passover, they shall keep it. It's a similar kind of idea, the idea of, of maintaining the integrity of this lamb, but But different from Exodus, Exodus was concerned about who and where it was eaten. Uh, Numbers, you notice, is more concerned about when. Uh, Don't leave any to morning, uh, but it's consumed now and tonight. Uh, Back to John 19, if you would. Uh, Christ is our Passover lamb, his blood, when applied to us means that the judgment of our God passes over us, leaving us unharmed. Uh, but let's apply the logic that we've seen about the fact that his bones were not broken. What's John getting at in pointing this out about our Savior and discerning something about him? It's this. The whole Christ is for you now. You need him, and you need all of him. Uh, When you hear of the cleansing blood of Christ, and your first thought is someone else you know who could really benefit from his blood, it's not from faith that that's our first thought. It's true. His is a powerful blood that is able to cleanse any sinner. And anyone whom you can think of who does not now know Christ, he is able to forgive their sins. But the first thought that faith has is that I need all of him, and I need him now. Uh, You've probably heard it said that one drop of his blood 
is enough to atone for the sin of the whole world. And as long as we remember that his blood is spilt in in him having truly died, it's a good thing to keep in mind about the power of our Savior's blood. Uh, But it might be more true to say it this way. Just one sin, if it is to be forgiven, requires every last drop of his blood that was poured out. You need all of him. How much of him had to be given? All of him to the point of death. How much of his blood, his cleansing blood, do you need? Every last drop if you are to be forgiven. There's a kind of paradox here as we think about what, what, is, what is in Christ and his efficacy and power to save. Because it's true that Christ is an overly sufficient Savior. More than enough for all of the sin of all of the world and any who would come. But at the same time, if he was anything less and if he gave anything less, it wouldn't be nearly enough. We need all of him. And you need him now. Now is the time of your deepest need. Because now is the time that his cleansing blood has been poured out for sinners and every last drop of his cleansing blood is made present unto your faith that you might believe and have life in his name. Again, John 19. Let's look at the second text that John points out. Verse 37, again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. The quotation's a little bit simpler here. It's virtually a direct quotation from Zechariah 12. Why don't you turn there? Zechariah 12, verse 10. This is on page 799 if you're using the Pew Bible. Let me read this verse and I'll make a few notes on this. Zechariah 12, verse 10. And this is the Lord speaking. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn A few things to note. First of all, the one pierced is the Lord. You saw that? Uh, Second, those who look on him are the very ones who have pierced him. Look on him whom they have pierced. Uh, Third, their their mourning is a very intense kind of mourning and grieving. Uh, There's two aspects to it. One is is a kind of grieving of, of love. Notice how it says, as one would mourn for the loss of a child or a firstborn. Uh, but also a grief of conviction, as surely they consider what their own hands have done, as those who pierced him. And lastly, the response of grief, both love and conviction, it's, it's a fruit of what the Lord pours out. The grace, who says, I will pour out a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, which is why they respond as they do. Uh, back to John 19, if you would. Uh, What's going on here, where it says in verse 37 again, they will look on him whom they have pierced. We have a little bit of a challenge here as we try to understand uh, what John is doing and what he means. 
Uh, because notice the verse that we read in Zechari- Zechariah and what's quoted here, it says, look on him whom they have pierced, plural. Uh, but we know in what we've just read from John 19, it was one man who did this. What's going on? Well, I want to consider that one man, that soldier. Uh, why did this soldier pierce him with a spear? Again, some, uh, some think that perhaps he was uh, wanting to make sure that he was truly dead, or if not, that he soon would be. But I don't think that's it, because the Scriptures tell us the soldiers were going there to make sure that they would be dead. And the way that they were going to do that was to be to break their bones. And it says that they knew that he was dead, so they passed him by. So why did the soldier do this? Well, uh, you've probably heard of this or seen this, that oftentimes when, when an enemy is killed, uh, often when a number of people are involved, or perhaps even a single individual, when an enemy is killed, uh, oftentimes it's just the beginning, uh, and it f- is followed at times by a kind of spiteful desecration of someone's dead body a kind of expression of, of triumph uh, over your enemy whose life is taken and is unable to respond in any way. And to get a sense of, of perhaps uh, what's going on here when this soldier uh, takes his spear and puts it into the side of Christ, consider some of those who were actually nearby and watching. Uh, Luke 23 tells us uh, that there was a group of women uh, who at a distance uh, saw the things that took place at the time when he died, And later on, Luke says that when his body was taken from the cross and brought to the tomb, that they went from there and saw the place where he was laid. So we have them at the cross, seeing the cross when he died, at the cross when he's taken down. It's it's hard to imagine that they would have left at all. In fact, it's possible his mother Mary was there as well. How would they have responded when they saw, even at a distance, what this soldier did? It's like, haven't you had enough? Uh, Why continue to shame him even after he's died? Now remember the word of the Lord that John quotes from. They will look on him whom they have pierced. This is what John is recognizing. There is little to no difference between the single spiteful act of this one man in piercing his side and the heinous effect of my own sin upon him. This is what our sin is. David says in Psalm 51, against you, you only, have I sinned. What we read again from Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. Uh, This is what faith, the faith that John is after, that you may believe, this is what faith is to eye and to consider when we consider uh, the the spear-pierced side of our Savior and the wounds that he bore. That this is the effect of my sin. This is the display of what my sin is against my Lord. And remember again some of the context in Zechariah. The grace of God does not replace the grief 
that discerns what our hands have done. It is the grace of God that gives the recognition that when you look upon his marred body, you see the scars of what your sins, the outcome of your sin upon him. Now, as far as I can tell in reading the scriptures, uh, these are scars upon our Savior that will not be removed. Later on, when he's raised from the dead, again, he holds them out as evidence unto Thomas that this is him. Scars that can be seen upon his hands and his side. Uh, Turn, if you would, to Revelation 1, chapter 1, verse 7. Again, this is page 1028, if you're using the Pew Bible. John quotes again from this passage in Zechariah, and he says this, Revelation 1, 7, Behold, referring to Christ, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. If you're using the ESV, there's a footnote for wail. It says mourn. It's likely that that we ought to remember the context of Zechariah, that this is not simply a a wailing of terror, but a wailing and a grief of, again, love, considering who this is, and conviction, considering what our hands have done. As they recognize the one pierced. Uh, Now, as we consider the the coming, the future coming of our Savior, it's certainly a joyful and a hopeful reality, isn't it? (laughs) something we long for and we pray for. Um, At the same time, Revelation says here uh, that we will mourn as we see with our own eyes what our sins have done. Um, It's... um, it's, It's hard to actually think about what what kind of response we would have in seeing his wounds, knowing the effect of our sins. Uh, But as bitter as it will be, the cry of our heart, of course, is not that those wounds will be erased, is it? Uh, Because those very wounds are a testimony that Christ was crucified for me. His blood was poured out for my sins, And the very blood that pours forth is what cleanses us from our sin and is able to cleanse you. And so with John, as we consider what it means to see with our eyes those wounds upon our Savior as he was pierced for our transgressions, we say with him, even so, amen. Uh, These have been written that you may believe. Hi everybody, my name is Rob and I am a deacon at Gospel Fellowship PCA. I'm also the sound engineer, the camera guy, and the podcast manager. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. Please come visit us in person. Gospel Fellowship is a Bible-believing church just north of Pittsburgh and you can find us at gospelfellowshippca.org. See you next time.